Hey, what's up, guys? This is Dion Brown, and you are listening, of course, to Man Versus Brand. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to everyone who has done the work, who has shared these videos, who have uh, reached out and said that they appreciate the work that we're doing over here. I very, very much appreciate you all. Uh, you guys are the reason why uh, we do this, why we engage in conversation uh, in order to move the needle. Uh, you guys and your feedback is what keeps us fed, right? And so I just want to say a thank you. And I know every guest that we've had on this podcast also feels very much the same way. They are invested in having deep and emotionally invested conversations about their journey with you guys listening. And they appreciate the fact that you appreciate it as well. So I want to say thank you to you guys. All right. So I have Brendan. He's going to introduce himself. And in introducing himself, he's going to talk to us about what he's doing over at Master Talk. Now, he's going to be able to define that better than I can. He'll be able to do it greater justice than I. But um, just know that uh, it's a conversation that is centered around public speaking, around communication, and about empowering individuals to express themselves fully. Now, we've had conversations about telling your story, and we know how important telling your story is. We know that it is fundamental not only to communication, but also in defining who you are in relationship to this world. So it's important that not only leaders do it, but everyone along the social spectrum, right? That everyone gets an opportunity to be able to articulate uh, their place in the world and why they deserve value, why they deserve agency, why they deserve opportunity, right? And so he's going to talk about how he's empowering individuals. And we're going to have a conversation about communication because communication is fundamental, but it's not necessarily equitable. It's not everyone has the capacity to communicate specifically in places where they weren't born um, in the same ways that people that are there can. And that's something that, you know, is a challenge that I think we need to explore. We need to understand what that journey looks like so that we can be more appreciative of individuals that are undertaking that process. This is Man versus Brand. We're going to hit this intro in five, four, three, two, one. Still trying to figure out the keys to life? Well, according to the locks, it's money, power, and respect. Learn to gain or grow these three concepts with Dion Brown and his podcast. With 20 years of expertise in guiding and coaching businesses and brands at the highest level, Dion is having the conversations that can lead to your big breakthrough. Welcome, and let's begin. All right, guys, so we're back, and uh, we have Brendan online. Brendan, why don't you talk to us about, uh, about what you're doing, introduce yourself, say hello to the listeners. Yeah, what's up, Dion? So great to be our brother. So yeah, Brendan Kumar Sami here for Master Talk. I make YouTube videos on communication that I started from my mom's basement, and I also coach executives on how to communicate ideas. So yeah, great to be here, dude. All right, cool. So you're coaching executives. How old are you? Twenty six. Twenty six. So you're you're sitting in rooms with executives. You know what's the what what what's the age range of these individuals that you're talking to? I know it's crazy. You know, sometimes I forget how, how young I am, but yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of, a lot of the people I work with are sometimes double my age. They're in the thirties, their forties, their fifties. And yeah, yeah. It's All been, right. it's been a fun journey. Well, listen, um, I'd imagine that 
uh, communication not only works verbally, right? So when you're talking about public speaking, I imagine that there's a bit of it that's also talking about performing on social platforms, right? Which for an, uh, an older generation of individuals may actually be really useful, right? If you're talking about you started your company uh, and you started on YouTube, um, there are probably speakers who are leaders who want to be thought leaders whose, whose role or whose, whose, um, whose function will be to get their message out on multiple platforms. Mm, absolutely, brother. I think social is a big part of that. A lot of my focus is mostly on executive communication, like okay. how to communicate them better in the boardroom. But you're right in the sense that social media is a big piece of that too, right? Like with your podcast and with different outlets, now we're all starting to become our own media companies. So it's important, even if people are much older, that they should adapt to social media because that's where the attention is. Absolutely. And I think it's really great for internal communication, right? So the fact that your employees, your stakeholders just don't exist in one physical space, right? Specifically in this age of being through and hopefully very soon coming out of a pandemic, right? That, that you're going to have to adapt your message to technology and be able to do that effortlessly. And so how do you take um, engagement, interaction, and communication and translate that so that the eye contact still works, right? So that the hand gestures still work, right? If, if, if communication, a big part of it is nonverbal, how do you get people to verbally communicate effectively and nonverbally communicate? Yeah, absolutely, man. So uh, the way that I would start this conversation with is understanding the differences between both. So what's the difference in online and offline? So there's there's three distinct differences. One that you touched upon, which is eye contact. When you're in an in-person setting, you know, there's a lot of different people there. So when you're speaking or having a conversation, you're changing your eyes to reflect the different people you communicate with. But online, you actually only have to look at, in one direction, which is the camera lens. So whether you're looking at a million people or whether there's 10 people on the call, it's the same direction. So that's the one first key difference. So as we transition online to offline, we need to get used to deviating to spreading our eye contact like we used to. The second piece to that is energy. I mean, let's face it. It's a lot easier. I mean, you're doing a great job with this, but most people have a lot of trouble showing up with energy when we're not in the same room. It's that in-person connection. It's really hard to replicate. And that's why the strategy is to get better offline so you can bring more energy back online. There's not really any other way to do it. I think it's a lot easier for you to go back into the real world, bring the energy back into your online presentations, into your discussions. And then the third piece is audience accessibility. So when you're giving a presentation, let's say in person, it's really easy to get feedback. Just get lunch with a couple of the people in the room and you're done. But online, the friction is much higher. So you need to force that interaction, get on calls with people, get to know them. That's how you, we understand the differences between both settings. Listen, I would sign up for your coaching program with those three tips alone. Like, I would, <laughs> Thanks for I, yeah, I would sign up for whatever you had going on. All right. So, so talk to me, like what, what are, which, what's your, um, your, the, the, the person who you're speaking with um, in terms of leadership, what's that ideal candidate like? Like, what are, where do they find you? What are they doing? What are their pain points? Like, who's that candidate that comes into um, Master Talk and has, uh, has a great experience and comes out of it with a clear way of communicating? 
Yeah, absolutely, brother. Beautiful question. So there's, there's two routes there. So the first one is the mission behind Master. Why did I create this in the first place? The reason is because I felt that the next Elon Musk doesn't have access to free communication tools. I mean, think about when Elon was like 15 years old, there was nobody helping this guy because nobody cared who Elon Musk was. No one was sharing free tools. Nobody was helping that person. So I actually started Master for that person. Right, because I think the next Elon is probably some fifteen-year-old guy or girl, some part of the world. We don't know who they are. We we don't know how to support them, but they'll have access to me. Even wait if a minute, never wait a minute, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you. I want you to remember your thoughts. So the next Elon Musk isn't 26 today and started um, a coaching program in their mom's basement. You know, it's funny, man. I, I wish I could. Uh, thank you. That's very kind. I, I, de I definitely think I'll make a massive impact in the world. And I, I think I've done a good part of it so far, given given the time that I've been alive. Yep. Elon's a different game, man. He's a different animal. Like Absolutely. that guy, when he when he sold PayPal, I think if the if I got the number correctly and people quote me wrong, people feel free to recorrect me. It's around 100, 120 million dollars. That was a stake when he sold to eBay with Peter's team and everything. Yep. He took every penny of that of that investment and poured it into SpaceX and Tesla. Who does that? Yeah. Like that's ridiculous. Most people who net nine figures exit, they just chill for the rest of their life. That dude's a savage. Okay, I, I'm a risk taker, but I'm not that guy bet the whole farm every single time. So yeah, well, I, but I risk help. is scale, right? Like risk is scale. So so you're risking things now in your business, right? And as as you as you grow, as you evolve, as you scale what your mission is, the risk then scales in relationship to that, right? So right now we're we're just risking what we have, right? And, and but when you have what you have starts to scale also, then that becomes an interesting idea of what we actually will risk because, you know, saying I'm going to pour all my savings into this idea sounds really reasonable until all my savings is $120 million. <laughs> exactly. Right. The, the last part, like I took a lot of risks to start master talk too, but, yeah. uh, but I'm not, I'm not mortgaging my house to do master talk. Like it's a very high margin business. If I don't get clients, worst thing that's going to happen is I'll go back to corporate, which is never going to happen at this point. But yeah. let's say it did, yeah. you know, like it, it, it's not the end of the world, but Elon, it's like, like most people have nine figure exits, which is like, they'd just be done. Like I, I made a hundred million dollars. Okay. Like what's the point of taking more risk on? What am I else am going to buy? So I think what I like about the mission behind what I do is it's a lot more than a coaching business. I use a lot of the money that I create to make my YouTube videos and all my socials a lot more accessible. So people find the voice. That's the one piece to that. All right. So I want to get us back on track because you were mentioning free communication tools and Elon Musk as an example uh, of what the ideal client for you uh, is experiencing look, looks like. Um, and we were discussing how that person might be 13 right now and not have access to free communication tools. So I want to keep you on that 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 line of thinking so that we can get through this for the audience. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I just, I just wanted to say the why first so people knew what I, why I was doing master nope. talk. But but yeah, absolutely. For the ideal client, I think the difference is who invests in communication. So who has the financial capacity where it's beneficial for them to spend a few thousand on a speech code that leads to the result? And what I found is there's three key avatars that isn't really that 13-year-old person. They'll just have access to the free stuff. Is number one is the executive, right? Who wants to get promoted? Mostly in technology, where they have big pockets, but they block at some point in their career. They just can't make it to vice president without leadership and EQ. 
emotional intelligence, Ezekiel, for those who are listening. So that's number one. Number two is the coach. The coach is already doing probably seventy-five to hundred thousand dollars in their business or more, and wants to scale. There's something wrong that they're doing in their messaging, whether it's in the communication of their offer on a strategy call, or whether it's the way that they're delivering the service. Something's wrong in that pipeline from a communication that's blocking them from becoming a million-dollar coach. So that's the second piece, and the third avatar who's who wants to invest in communication financially is the entrepreneur, right? Who's very serious, who's already doing, who's already found product market fit is doing what's again, 75 to hundred K or more, and who's using communication to scale their businesses and to scale out their teams. Got it. So in one of those capacities, it's really the executive uh, coaching that you're talking about. The other two sound like really an articulation of messaging, which almost lends itself to leadership, but almost a, a leadership sales capacity? That's correct. But I would say for all three of these individuals, executive communication would be the focus, even if the pain is a lot bigger. So I do like bonus calls for the messaging. Yep. But the key is really at the end of the day, whether someone's an entrepreneur, whether they're a coach or an executive at a company, they're all executives because executives just means you're managing a group of people. So if you're an entrepreneur, you are an executive. It's just you're, you're managing a lot more than just people. You're also managing the vision of the entire ship that's sailing. Right. So now it's about how do we make ourselves bulletproof executives? That's really the focus of what I do. So that when people go back into the real world, life is easy. In other words, my philosophy, my mantra in communication is if you communicate 20% better than your competition, you will stand out 100% of the time. So how can you do the hardest 20% possible of your life in a program or in a simulation so that when you go back to the real world, life is a joke? All right. So guys, I'm going to segue into a conversation around Pareto's principle, right? So Pareto's principle states, uh, it's also known as the 80-20. And the 80-20 has had many applications for many industries, many businesses, many books, many motivational speakers, right? Folks love the 80-20. But a a, a broad general idea around that is that um, 20% of effort will lead to 80% of results, right? So that's just a very stripped down uh, version of what it what it really means. Now, depending on your application will determine what that 80-20 thing is, right? So uh, 20% of your day, if you time block, will lead to 80% of your revenue if you're in sales, right? So if you're dialing for 20% of your day and you're focused in and you're lead generating, it's gonna lead to 80% of your sales. There's so many ways of applying this 80-20 rule. And in general, it holds true. It means that there are specific activities that if you're doing will lead to the greatest net effect. Now, what does that mean? That means that like, if you have a list of five things that you need to do today, you need to look at that list and determine which one will lead to the greatest outcome. So with that said, I can see a world where 20% uh, greater communication, more effective communication uh, will net you uh, more uh, results than your competition, right? It's just the 20, but it's also honing in on what that 20 is, right? It's it's not just 20% as a, as mentioned earlier, a scale number, right? It's not just say this more and you'll get a better result. I would imagine, and I'm going to have Brendan um, 
uh, focus on this part of the conversation because I think he can probably lead us through that a bit more. But I imagine that the idea is that there's going to be 20% of your messaging that if you double down on, if you hone in on, uh, if you focus on, uh, will lead to a greater uh, result than maybe what your what your competition is because all messaging is not equal. So Brendan, why don't you talk to us about that? What's that 20% that you're, you're, you're focusing on with your clients that's leading them to their, their, their uh, greater results in relationship to their competition? Yeah, beautiful frame, man. Love that. So, so what I'll say is that the 20% is different based on the profiles that we talked about earlier, right? So for the executive, it's going to be getting that next promotion is the result of that, of that, of leveraging that 20%. We'll get into how to do that. For the business owner, it might be getting an extra sale. For the coach, it might be an extra sale too. So it'll, it'll differ. Okay. But how the 20% looks like in concrete terms is a couple of things. The first one, and, and once again, it won't always apply, but if you apply one of them, you'll get that advantage. Yep. The first one is video messages. If you're a business owner and you're a service provider and you're not sending video messages to people who are buying your service, let's say it's like $500 or more each, you probably have 100 or 200 clients, maybe 300, you're missing on a massive opportunity. Yep. Like I make so much money just by sending video messages to my clients. That's it. Like I go, Hey, let, let's say Dion's a client. Hey, Dion, just want to say, really appreciate everything you do, man. The podcast is amazing. Love it. Man versus brand, brand versus man. Like it's awesome, brother. I hope you're having a fantastic. Nobody does that. Nobody. And wait, a lot so, of wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you're just, <laughs> you're just sending me a unique video where you're telling me how great I am. And that's going to actually, I might refer someone to you. Just if you sent me that message alone, I'm like, yo, man, I just got this really great message on this video message from this guy, Brendan. And it was awesome. And he's the best coach ever. You should coach with him. At the very least, I would imagine that that's going to get you a good referral because people like people who make them feel good, but who are also effective. All right, continue. Exactly. Absolutely. And I appreciate the support, man. Hey, exactly. You got it, right? It's like when there's no jab, when you do that extra 20%, and I ask every one of my clients, how many other video messages have you gotten from other service providers, other coaches you've hired, other zero. The number is always zero. It's always zero, Dion. And it's crazy because it takes 60 seconds to do this. And also, even if you're not a business owner, you're listening to this, let's say you're an executive or you're somebody who works in companies, you're managing teams, just ask yourself as a manager, when was the last you got a video message from your boss saying, really appreciate the work that you're doing. I hope you're having a wonderful time with your family, enjoying your vacation. Most people say never too. You're going into the videos. Don't just think about it from the perspective of being a business owner. Right. Think of it as also being an executive of a company or a manager of one. Even if you work a corporate job, think about the people you manage at work. When was the last time you ever got a video message from your boss saying, hey, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Just wanted to wish you happy holidays to you and your family or any type of celebration that's going on. Almost nobody receives those videos. And it's not about, this is the punchline deal, it's not about the quality of how good the video is. It's just sending one. So don't overthink it. This is what creates the results and allows you to get that 20 that nobody else is leveraging. So that's just one example of how to do it. All right. So, so let's also in this conversation about videos and about it not being perfect, also have a conversation about 
uh, what's called MVP or minimally viable product, right? Which means that things don't need to be fully iterated for people to understand what your intent is, right? If I said right now, hey, listen, would you like on your phone uh, to be able to get a cab, to know the profile picture of the person that's there so you can identify the car and the driver, you can pay uh, with this digitally so you don't have to worry about cash. You will know exactly what the rate is when you get to your destination. You will have an active map of your destination. Would you like that? Most people are going to say yes, right? And, and, and now we have Uber, right? So the idea is that um, the first people, the early adopters, right? The folks that, that, that um, subscribed to uh, Uber, and whether you love the company or not is is not is outside the point and, and not valid for this example. Uh, you don't necessarily need to have all of the bells and whistles. You don't need to have the app in its final full form in order to understand its utility. What I'm hearing Brendan say also is that uh, if you're sending things like videos and whatever other tips he's going to provide us, that they don't have to be perfect, right? They don't have to be in 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 4K and and just you know crazy and out there like. You might just need to send something and people understand the gesture. And, and as you move into your business, as you grow your business, as you get more revenue, then you can pick up a better camera. Then you can do all this stuff that you want to do. Then you can have it edited, right? But in the beginning, just the touch point alone is what's going to drive your point home, right? It's the touch point itself. It's doing something, maybe not doing it perfectly, but just doing something. Uh, Brendan. I know you have some more points, right? So whatever your next one is, let's go. Yeah, absolutely, man. I love, I love that. Exp I love that you give the context to that. The second one is question drills. So have we ever been in a situation where we get asked a question, whether it's at work, whether it's in with our prospects, whether it's with our clients or the people that we serve, but we don't really know the answer to it, or we're not as confident as we'd like to be. So going back to what's the 20% that gets us 100% of the result or helps us stand out most of the time, it's asking ourselves more questions about the outcome we want to solve for. Let me give you an example. Okay. Let's say that you want to sell a product or service. Okay. Let's say you're a real estate agent, something like that. Okay. One real estate agent is going to go, okay, I'm just going to talk to this person who's interested in my, you know, having me as the realtor. Or I'm going to figure out, oh, like out of their 15 questions, I know like 12 of them pretty well. And they might or might not get the deal. And then there's somebody else who's a realtor in the same area who yeah. has drilled 300 questions that any possible prospect could ever ask them about buying or selling a home. So when they get on that call, they're absolutely perfect every single time. Sure, in the short term, there might not be a massive difference in the sales that A or Realtor A or Realtor B gets. But over the long term of 100 to 200 conversations with different people, Realtor B will absolutely destroy Realtor A because that person is just so much more focused on the product they're selling for and they applied the question drill analogy. Here's another fun example. Think about this podcast right now right? Questions that I could get asked on my own expertise. Sure, there might be somebody else in my field who might have done a podcast three or four times and like might know 10 or 15 questions. Whereas me, I've probably asked myself 500 questions on my own expertise. That's why I'm able to answer very fluidly when I get asked questions on it. So that's the trick. Implement that. So interesting, right? Because um, I, and I think most people would think that that is something that is gained over time, right? So 
So you're, you spend three years in the field as a realtor. You might not be landing deals, but you're getting the experience. What, what I'm hearing you're describing is a way to uh, almost um, synthesize that experience into something that is more condensed, that is shorter termed, um, and that is more effective um, with a faster turnaround but it's still effective, but just with a faster turnaround um, where you're getting um, the volume of questions and answers to those questions that you would get over that maybe let's say three years of starting in the business, but you're just getting them in this kind of this focused sort of way so that you don't need the three years. You really just need this activity set. Is that a good summary? Absolutely. And I'm living proof of it. Right. Right. Okay. I started coaching CEOs when I was 22. How is that even possible from a, from a metric perspective? Shouldn't it take me like 10, 15 years to get to this level of expertise yep. or you shortcut the entire thing. You get a group of people who are vicious. Like my friends are vicious and they just sat down, and just drilled me on a bunch of questions. And they were the worst interviews I've ever had in my life. The meanest. And they would just go, where's the fear? Fear of communication come from what about this what about this and they just kept drilling on everything until i had an answer for everything so Got that's it. the key if you implement let me give you the easy version of this too dion so people can implement it across different spectrums yep. five minutes a day people just five minutes reflect on one question guess one question that you think your prospect is going to ask you your family member is going to ask you about that specific outcome you want every day one question reflect on the answer for five minutes if you do that once a day for five minutes that's all you'll have answered 365 questions about your expertise in only a year got it so i have a pretty funny story uh when I was a much younger man, um, maybe, you know, about four years or so younger than you are today, uh, I decided that I wanted to be a bartender, uh, not because I actually wanted to tin bar. Uh, it's because I thought that there were a certain amount of skills that you needed to almost be renaissance. I was like, I want to know how to make drinks. I want to know how to snowboard. I want to know, there's just a bunch of things that I just wanted to know as like a life skill. Now I grew up in East New York, so I had a very particular uh, life when I grew up. It was very, 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 very cool. Um, but it was very insular in a way that, you know, when I finally got out into the world, I was like, there are just these skill sets that as a guy in this world, I want to possess bartending was one of them, right? So um, I convinced the bar that I could bartend without having any skill. Never went to school. Uh, for folks that are thinking about bartending school, um, you're probably listening to this podcast about three years from now because most of the folks that are listening today uh, have jobs. Uh, but if you're listening to this episode, wherever you are, and you want to go to bartending school, listen, um, it's great. It's going to teach you uh, how to make drinks. It doesn't teach you the EQ needed or emotional intelligence needed to actually be successful and get great tips. So make sure that you're focused on that also, but going to my story and I'm going to land this plane. All right. So I uh, didn't know how to bartend. I convinced the bar uh, to let me be their lead bartender. What I did in my first three weeks was invite every friend that I had, every friend that I knew to come to the bar and I paid for their drinks. Like I just paid them to drink because I knew I didn't have the training and I knew I needed 
the experience and I knew that I was going to make some pretty bad drinks, right? So I had a book of drinks with me. I told my friends to come down. I said I would pay for their drinks. Fortunately, the bar uh, <laughs> drinks weren't expensive. If I had done this in New York, this was Atlanta. If I'd done this in New York, I'd be broke. I wouldn't even be able to keep the job because drinks out here are like 17 bucks. And <laughs> at, at 22, I didn't have 17 bucks a drink for 50 people that came to the bar in those, those few weeks. So my friends would come down and they would order drinks. They would order what they wanted and they expected the drink to be made as the drink would be made, if not better. Right. Because they wanted to support long term. They wanted to refer other people to this bar. They wanted me to make a ton of tips um, and they knew it was going to come from them. It would come from their other friends that, that I didn't know. So they needed me to make the drinks and they needed me to make the drinks better than other folks were making drinks. Well, that process was like trial by fire. People were sending back drinks. People were spitting out drinks. It was a horrible thing. But but by the time that that process was done. I was not only a solid lead bartender, but I could bartend in any environment. I could bartend in any setting, whether it was a club, a bar, a lounge, a hotel. Um, I was a mixologist. I was creating new drink uh, cocktails. I was doing flash bartending, which is, you know, spinning cups in the air and all that great stuff, right? But it was because I had the experience of, of being tested in an environment that wouldn't let me fail. That, that called on me to be my best self and to be aware, right? To be aware of what I was doing, to be aware of what uh, other folks needed, right? And so what I'm hearing again in this, this idea of, of drilling is the fact that you're gonna experience something um, uh, in a mock setting that will allow you to access what's needed for you to be successful on the actual job. And so that's my story of how that applied to me. And, and the truth is, guys, it actually informed a lot of what I was able to do just in life, which was to walk into almost any industry, any setting, any role, and, and immediately start to understand what was necessary for me to be successful in that role. And gen generally, the idea was I took the top 20%, the bottom 20% in staff and asked them all what was wrong right? What, what's, what's going on here? What needs to be fixed? I listen more than I did, right? First two, three months, I just listened. And, and just like in bartending, right, where I had to hear the critiques, hear um, folks saying the trick was bad, watch them spit it out. It let me know what I needed to know in order to be better. And that can be applied to bartending, to organizations, to conversations, right? And so, so getting in and doing the work may take you three or 10 years, as Brendan uh, so eloquently said, that he could have been in a, in, in a position where he waited 10 years to become the expert that he needed, or he could throw himself into the fire and figure out what he needed to know in order for him to be successful. So five minutes every day, get thrown a question. Don't be afraid of looking silly. There, there should be no pride of authorship. There should be no ego involved if you're actually committed to making yourself better, right? Just sit in it, understand that you won't know everything, but there will be a point where that learning curve will meet the need and you actually will. And that's going to be a glorious day for you guys. Anyway, all right, Brendan, let's go to your next point. I know I just took a bit of time to, to, to explain that bartending analogy. <laughs> 
No, it was a cool, man. It was a cool nostalgia. It reminded me of my days as a, as a, I had a short stint in bartending. It wasn't that long. It was maybe like three days or something. Got it. So it just, it, it just brought up some funny memories about how I used to pour a beer. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and oddly enough, for somebody who doesn't drink beer, apparently I'm good at it. So there you go. But Listen, anyway. there, there's a good, there, there's a needed and good amount of foam to beer ratio that you need to hit for the perfect beer. Like if it's all beer, it looks like it's flat. If it's all foam, folks feel robbed. And so there is a proportion. It's I think it's an 80-20 rule. Pareto, you might have gotten this from beer. I think it's 20% <laughs> to 80% beer. I think that actually might be the way it works. <laughs> I mean, you're the expert, man, not me. <laughs> like, like I said, mine was a stint. It was like two, three days. And then after that, uh, it didn't work out. But Got it. All right, so we talked about drilling, uh, and uh, we talked about – wait, what was the first point? Give me the first point again. Yeah, it was video messages. Video messaging. So we talked about video messaging, and we talked about drilling. Is there a third? Yeah, of course. I mean, we could give, like, 70 tips. No, let's do three. We're we're working in threes right now. Let's give a third one. (laughs) So the third one is called the random word exercise. So the random word exercise is super simple, Dion. All you have to do is pick a random word, like phone like screen, like tighter, and you create presentations out of thin air. And what this does and why it's so valuable is I always tell people, always do the harder thing in practice so that the real world is easier. So in the sense of the random word exercise, what's nice about this exercise is if you could make sense out of nonsense, like avocado or papaya, you could make sense out of anything. That's why I love this exercise so much because it builds your resiliency as a speaker. And this works just as well as if you're an executive in a company or an aspiring one or a business owner, because when you go back to your work environments, you're not doing, you're not talking about papayas unless you're a papaya farmer or something. You're talking about things that are related to what you're doing. So if you talk about things that are not related to what you're doing, that are completely out of your comfort zone, that builds momentum and comfort for the things that you're naturally called to serve. What's funny about uh, what you're describing is that it's actually uh, one of my fundamental strategies to interviewing. Um, to understand the way that someone communicates, I typically will ask them to describe the room, a pen, an apple um, in great detail and to present it as if they're presenting it to their team, um, uh, to be persuasive in it to be articulate about it, to be specific about it, right? And, and, uh, and if not, I will ask them um, five things to do with a brick aside from building a house um, to see how their mind and communication skills align um, to not only come up with something uh, that would be creative, uh, but things that uh, would also be interesting to them and a describer of uh, who they are as a person, right? So some folks will will describe things like um, turning it into a flower vase, right? And, and I'm like, that's interesting. I don't see how that works for a brick, right? And then other folks are like, I'm just balancing out a lopsided table. And I'm like, got it. You're, you know, you're about utility, right? And so um, I think in, in doing an activity that forces you um, to to communicate and to describe and to present items that do not um, uh, revolve around your your business or your business goals is a great way 
to not only test your ability to think on the fly, um, but to also use whatever curveball is thrown at you and then use that thing to your advantage because you have now experienced that on a level that you've done it personally for your own growth, for your own maturation as a speaker. And now you have the ability to do that and perform that for others um, to their own amazement and surprise. Well said, man. Well, completely agreed. Awesome. So listen, I want to play a quick game with you. Uh, so we're Let's talking about it. communication. <laughs> I want to play a quick game with you. All right. Um, I'm gonna wait. You're you're really laughing over there. All right, cool. Um, you're funny, so, dude. <laughs> I'm glad you think so, man. Um, all right, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about phrases, idioms, and sayings that people typically mispronounce. So I'm gonna give you a phrase, and I want you to think of whether it is the actual way that the phrase uh, is meant to be said, right? Uh, and if you believe that it's right, then let me know if it's right. If you think it's wrong, then let me know the phrasing that you think it should actually be. Listen, he wants to, to do stuff on the fly. He says that he has the capacity to really wow us with communication. Let's see, Brendan. Let's see what you're going to do. All right. So we're ready to play this game. All right, Brendan, do you understand the rules? Let's do it, man. I'll probably suck it. at it, but let's do it. All right, yeah, listen, it's it's okay to suck at something, right? Like we, we're <laughs> gonna get there. We're gonna get there. All right. So and, and and let me let me say this, guys. I actually don't know the answers to these. Um, it's something that I thought of as we were talking about avocados. So I was like, oh, this is what I would do in my own interview process professionally. So why not bring it to the podcast? All right, so the the first thing is you've got another thing coming. Do you think? That the correct phrasing is you've got another thing coming. You've got another thing coming. Hmm. I mean, that's that's a good slang way of approaching it, but you could also say something like you have other opportunities coming your way. That's probably another way no no of no. Just do you think that that's the right phrasing? Like, do like when people say the term like you got another thing coming, do you think that that was actually the way that it was intended to be said? Uh I mean the intention seems right to me. Ah, okay. So apparently it's, you have another think coming, right? So the, the full sentence implies if you think that, then you're wrong and you need to have another thought in your mind. So folks typically are out here going, you have another thing coming, but it's actually not even thing. It's you have another think coming. Apparently it's saying that you should have another thought in your mind versus the thought that you currently have. That's crazy because I definitely say you have another thing coming and uh, another thing <laughs> pretty weird. You're, you're a funny guy, man. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So let's go to the next one. First come, first serve. You know what? I'm going to save you, brother. I'm going to save you. It's first come, first served. <laughs> Uh, because of course, if you come first, then you are the first served. And so that's just a matter of tense. Let's, let's try another one. Oh, I could care less. I Do couldn't think... care less. Yes. All right. Ding, ding, ding. 
right. Do I win like a goat or something? What else? No, you don't win a goat. I might send you a t-shirt. <laughs> I might send you a t-shirt if you're cool with that. Um, all right. As long as it's a goat on the t-shirt. Oh, this is awesome. Shoe-in. A shoe-in. So something that is... Something that is like an obvious... Hmm. Is that the original? Uh, I, I guess that's the right intention. I would replace it with guaranteed, but shoe in makes sense to me. Okay, so the way that this works is actually funny. I think this is going to be cool for, for me. I'm just glad I got one right. To yeah, no, no, no. Listen, listen. I think it's going to be cool for you. So it's shoe in, right? In my, in my mind, it's S-H-O-E-I-N. Yeah, same It's actually S-H-O-O-I-N, and it comes from ah. hymns. Like people having like hens and you're shooing them as a verbalization into like their pen. So it's a shoe as in shoe, shoe into a pen. I didn't know that. Listen, communication, man. It's crazy. Communication is crazy. Um, I mean, I think that's for English. I think that's for like idioms in English. Not... In, in, well, listen, I mean, I'm going to say... I'm going to say, I'm going to give one more and then we're going to go back into, um, into, uh, um, into our conversation. Right. So I'm going to take this, I'm going to move this, uh, forward. Okay. So let's, uh, this is the one that used to get me for my entire collegiate life. All right, Brendan. Um, I am ashamed of this. I am deeply disturbed that I didn't know it. And when a person told me that I was saying it wrong, I was so offended and embarrassed at the same freaking time. Okay. So I used to say all intensive purposes. I swear to God, all intensive purposes. Um, I'm not going to even ask you to do this. I'm going to take this one uh, on the chin because I deserve it for the 10 years that I said it wrong. Um, I thought intensive purposes meant that um that you're you're driven and you're motivated and that is the reason why it i felt like i was reading a simon sinek book at 23 and i was like all intensive purposes right i thought it meant that you know because you are so driven because you are so honed into what you're doing that uh that that it, it drove the point home and it's actually uh, all intents and purposes intent not intensive it was all intents intent and purposes and um when i when i heard that i was like got it it means for all important reasons all practical reasons all intent and purposes for all practical reasons this should happen and that's something that i thought i understood and i didn't all right brendan back to you Back to you in master talk. So um, let's talk about your own journey into master talk, man. So you said you started this in your mom's basement. Um, what did that look like? Like when, when did you, what, what got you to the point where you said uh, this thing on YouTube, I imagine it wasn't master talk in the way that it is now, but I want to start making videos on YouTube and, and I want to help people. What got you there? Yeah, for sure, brother. So the idea initially started because a lot of the students I used to coach back then would always ask me a question I didn't have the answer to, Dion. And the question was, how did you learn how to speak? And I didn't know the answer to that because I didn't really have money for a coach. 
I didn't do Toastmasters, which I highly recommend. I think it's a great organization. I tried a bunch of stuff, didn't do any of it. I was mostly self-taught. So a lot of the students back then just said, oh, come on, you're not self-taught. You just like watch YouTube videos or something. And that's what sparked the idea. I was like, wait, people watch YouTube videos on communication? And that's what led to, to me starting to make videos because I realized there's a gap in the market. A lot of great stuff wasn't really out there. But then as I got older, Master Talk took a form of its own. I just kept posting videos consistently while I was working in, in the company. And I just asked myself a bigger question. What should I do for the rest of my life in terms of my time? And when I realized I had that gift and had this unique purpose and I could build a business around it, that's when I made, I made the decision to transition from, from the corporate world into just helping a lot of people with their communication skills. So, so give me some context. When you say that students or you know, folks that you're working with asked you, uh, where did you learn how to speak or how did you learn how to speak? Um, what's the context around that? Like, what is it speak eloquently? Is it speak with like persuasion? Is it like, where, where, what, what does that question mean? Yeah, absolutely. So the context of that was when I was in university, I did these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while the guys my age were playing rugby or basketball or football or some other sport, you probably wouldn't see me playing. I was doing presentations competitively. That's how I learned how to speak. So when I was in business school, me and a lot of these students, we'd compete against universities across the globe on business solutions that executives would give us. Let's say Nike comes in and says, hey, we want to develop a new shoe and we want to ship it out to this country. Where should we go first and why? So the students would have to create solutions and Nike's executives would pick the best people. And the reason they were there was to bring in the best talent into their companies. That's the reason these things existed and why I did them in the first place. So the context behind where did you learn how to speak was primarily from that angle where people would see me present really well at these competitions and, and win many of them. They would say, well, I want to present like that. So how did you learn how to speak like that? So it was mostly in the context of presentation skills. Got it. So uh, folks were out playing rugby. Wait, where did you where did you go? To, you called it university. So where did you go to college? I'm just going to call it college. Where did you go to school at? Yeah, yeah, for sure. College, university. I was in, I was in, I'm based in Montreal. So I went to Concordia. Not a lot of people know that university. All right, Concordia, man. Cool, 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 cool. I think we had this conversation earlier. I was for a second going to go to McGill. Maybe we didn't have this conversation. Yes, we yeah. did. Okay, we did. fine. Yeah, we're going to, I was going to yeah, go to McGill. Right. And, yeah. yeah, and it, yeah, it just didn't work. Um, but I'm really happy. Go Emory. All right. So uh, you had some folks while you were in school and uh, they were doing rugby. You were doing, like the business school version of like um mathalons are they called mathalons math math uh, yeah, yeah like math yeah yeah like yeah mathalons. like yeah like that that thing right where you where you compete and do math problems you had a version of that that's focused on business problems um and that led you to where you are today correct all right do do you have the percentages of how many people in your school that were playing rugby actually went pro because it, like it seems like you might have actually won in, in the in the life track, right? Where all the cool kids were doing rugby. There might be car salesmen that need your services right now. Kidding, <laughs> kidding, kidding to everyone that went to Concordia. Uh, I know you guys are doing well. <laughs> you guys are doing well. Dude, you're funny, dude. To, to be honest, I don't have the stat. I mostly say that as a joke. I actually don't really know that many people played rugby. I think most of my, my sports. 
Most of my, I actually don't know a lot of people who did sports. Except maybe a couple of basketball people, but none of them went pro. Got it. Got it. All right, cool. So, um, so you you went to the school. You folks are asking you about, um, you know, how did you start to win these competitions? Um, you thought, hey, uh, they said that they they got communication help online on YouTube. This might be an avenue that I can pursue. Uh, you started pursuing that avenue. Now, listen, did your mom, in fact, have a basement? Because so many of the stories of entrepreneurs, specifically in like the tech and digital space, start out in their mom's basement or their dad's garage. I swear to God, it's split evenly 50-50, <laughs> right? Like, so did your mom, in fact, have a basement or does that describe the fact that you started working from home? No, that was accurate. I'm actually coming to you live from that said basement. So Got it. Got it. So that's still the office space and headquarters of, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right so so talk to me about about growth when did you when when did you first know that you were onto something and and what was the metric behind that whether it's qualitative or quantitative what was the metric that let you know hey i think i'm actually onto something um and and i need to invest more i need to shift uh my professional focus from working in corporate to this what was what were the metrics that you were looking at to make that determination i mean i mean i wish i had a sophisticated answer man because you asked me metrics specific honestly people just started paying me i started making money like off off master what happened was i was 10 months into it and it was just a youtube channel i had made a dime off master talk i went to a personal development conference and i met my business partner and he's the one who told me to focus on technology executive in our community the Indian people because a lot of them need the service and they don't trust anyone besides us. So I was like, oh, that's great. And started paying me money for those packages. And that's when I realized this idea had legs. Because before that, it was mostly just a passion project. Like I was saying earlier, I wasn't doing this to make money, man. I was just coaching for free most of the time. I was making, and that's because specifically, because I was already making money at IBM as a consultant. Like I was doing really well financially. It wasn't because I was altruistic hundred percent, but when he told me to focus on executives, that's when I found product market fit. When there's a product, there's a market and there's a fit between the two where there's a where there's a group of people who actually want what you have and that's really the turning point and then i started investing a lot of my personal income into the youtube channel and hiring production team and do all that fun stuff there's also another thing that i think you mentioned and i want to dive into that a bit because i think that um it's important to understand uh cohort or 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 uh market viability through proximity right and so uh you said you met your business partner uh your business partner recommended that you start working with uh indian executives right okay and and uh because um there were going to be some some uh specifically in communication uh some of the nuance some of um, the pain points, uh, some of the need uh, that you could align yourself to that, right? Mm. And that there were, would be a cultural bridge, bridge of trust, right? So folks would be able to see themselves in you and go, hey, I can really work with that person, right? And, and that's, that's an important thing, right? And it's something that I think we're oftentimes afraid to do. We go so broad, you know, thinking that the entire market needs us, 
when when in fact we we may just need to find the people who are like us that need us right and mm. there's nothing wrong with that right there's nothing there's nothing wrong with saying i'm in a community and my community is underserved in this capacity and i actually can fill that capacity with value and the value that i bring to them can transact to them living better lives and my life and my family lives being made better um through the revenue that's created right so i'm providing value to my community my community is reciprocating their their feeling and they're transacting that value into monetary enrichment of my life whatever capacity that is and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that because um finding your community and adding value to your community is one of the things that we want to do as individuals and in community, maybe cultural community, community, maybe physical community, community. There's so many communities out there, right? So uh, find your community and find out if you can provide a need to that community. And if so, be valuable to that community and then let them introduce you to others in that community and you can build and scale your business that way. Oh, yeah, man. Dude, drop, drop the mic. I completely agree, man. Like, I think an easy way of keeping, of explaining this is you got product and you got market, right? Yep. So one side is the product. What are you selling and what pain point are you solving for? But the other piece that a lot of people don't think about is market. Who are you actually selling to? Because the behavior for you're selling to is going to change. But here's the practical knowledge here for those of you who want to start a business is you won't get this right the first time. I thought initial market was students. I realized they were broke. They couldn't afford a communication coach. Didn't make sense. Then I tried startup CEOs. But the problem with a lot of startup CEOs is they haven't raised their first round. So they're nitpicky about every dollar they spend. So until they raise like half a million dollars or 200,000, they're not going to shell out a few thousand for a speech coach. So I tried all of these different segments and nothing was working. So I was just like, okay, well, I have a corporate job, so it doesn't really matter. So I, I was kind of just making it, having fun. But then when I landed on executive, it was perfect. Boom, product market fit was instant. Especially in that community, community has very specific problems only I could solve for a very small group of people like me could solve for. And that people were never get it right over time. I think that's what a lot of entrepreneurs get wrong, Dion, is they don't try five or 10 different segments or even a hundred. Until they find the one that actually read. All right. So let's talk about competition in your market. Like, who's your competitors? Like, who, who, I mean, you don't have to name them, right? Like, we're not, I'm not plugging who your competitors are, but like, are they out there? Um, do you see them? Do you see yourself bidding for this same? um need like are, how how is competition for you as it relates to being an executive coach in this very specific market yeah absolutely dion i would say there's definitely competition there's a lot of communication coaches out there but i would say what's what's helped me a lot in the journey and what i'm super happy about is there's enough room for all of us and the reason is because coaching is a very high margin business, especially if you know how to manage your numbers. You actually don't need a lot of clients to make a really, really good living. Like if you have 100 clients and you're charging a few thousand and they tell their friends about you, you're done. Like you're doing yeah. very, very well for yourself. That's one piece. The second piece that I think separates me from a lot of people was the media side of Master Talk. 
is it was really around, I want to democratize this information for everyone, right? So that's helped me a lot as well. And the third piece is not seeing them really as competitors, seeing them as collaborators. Like I'm, I'm collabing right now with a massive YouTuber. It was one of the reasons I started my YouTube channel. He's double my age. He has a pretty, he has a multi six figure following on YouTube and he wanted to make a video with me. Why? Why would he bother? And the reason is because he just sees me as the young kid on the block that he wants to support because he doesn't want to build a $10 million business. He's got a family. He's working as a university professor, just making videos for fun. So the other piece I think I realized is vision is also a differentiator. No one is dreaming as big as I am right now currently that I've seen in the space on communication because I don't want to just build a coaching business. I want to do much more than that. And time is, father time is definitely on my side because I started at such a young age, kind of like when Tony Robbins started when he was 16. You're just too young to lose eventually. Like I'm already, what, am I 26? I've been coaching for seven years now. I don't think any other coach in the world can say that at, at my age currently. So yeah, I have a pretty strong advantage on the market. All right, so so guys- what I'm hearing from this is you have to seem like you're non-threatening, but secretly carry ambitions that will eat up all of your competitors as you just call them collaborators for the sake of seeming friendly, right? So, so when you're in- on this, <laughs> let me find it, let me find it. Cause I think you'll like it. It says, but seriously though, I think uh, like, don't get me wrong. Like I was really upset that a lot, and that's what led to Mass Talk in the first place, Dio. And by the way, I'm only on my phone to look up for the quote. No, no, it's no. Like, no um, pull pull it references was, from anywhere. Yeah, yeah, it was like this. It was this loud Tzu. Oh, sure, it's Sun Tzu. So uh, I'll say the quote, but before I do, you know, the thing for me is like, at the end of the day, like we're all human beings, we're all sharing an experience. But there's this great quote by Sun Solo to share. And he said, he said this, let your plans be dark and impenetrable as night. And when you move, fall like a thunderbolt. I thought that was really interesting. So yeah, it's been fun. But yeah, like, like I did have some hatred for a lot of coaches when I started because I felt it was really annoying that other people weren't sharing their information for free throw. I mean, like this conversation, I'm not hiding anything. Like I'm super open about all the stuff that I have. Sure. But, but I think, at least I hope I, did, I was. But I think the key is, a lot of people in my space before me weren't as open and that always pissed me off. That's why, that's why I started mass talk, but I, I'm a lot more loving than I used to be. So there you go. <laughs> Got it. So, so, so what, what do you learn from the, the executives that you're working with? Right. You, you mentioned that they were double your age and, and I'm not, I mean, listen, I, I don't, I, I'm focusing on age because I think that there is something compelling about, um, the stages of life that we enter into business, right? Like I, I was doing some things in my early twenties that uh, were groundbreaking for the stuff that I was doing. And I think it's also important to recognize others as you mature in your life when they're doing groundbreaking things, right? For their age and understand what it is because every climate's going to be different, right? My climate wasn't the climate that you're in, right? And so it's important to to understand the climate and also put things in perspective. But I also learned that uh, some much older people had some really, really great advice for me. It was, I think, masterminding before masterminding was really masterminding, where I just would sit around older people and, you know, um, I would buy lunch for them. And over lunch, I would just soak up 
all of the information that they had to share, understanding that I couldn't use it today. Like they would talk about financial planning. I didn't really have that, you know, that, that goal in that, in that moment, but it was things that as I matured as a leader and as a person, I found myself actually implementing and or directing others with the advice that I got. So what are maybe, give me like maybe three things that maybe some of your clients uh, being more seasoned in their businesses uh, have imparted to you that you have implemented in your life and or business? Yeah, it's a beautiful question, man. I mean, I've learned a lot from from the people I get to work with every day. I would say the, the first one is go to market. That's probably the biggest thing I've gotten from my clients is because they know that space better than me. They know the, that customer segment, that generation better than me. They yep. give me a lot of, like my business partner is double my age. He's not my age. Yep. He's like in his mid forties. So, so people like him and the people I work with give me a lot of intel on how to get into C-suite, how to get into the get the direct how to get the lunches how to how to rub the shoulders that was that was really interesting intel for me the second piece funny enough was around uh, relationships look a lot of them have challenges outside you know even if you're a communication coach they don't just talk about their communication challenges with you they talk about divorces they talk about the challenge the custodies all that stuff and i think hearing about that really helps me uh, ground myself in making sure that I'm really intelligent about how I move through life, not just in one area like business, because I think I figured that one out to a certain extent, but to every other area of life that I need to pay attention to, like my health, like the relationships in my family, the romantic partner I end up deciding. So that's probably the second key lesson. And the third key lesson is it's never too late to be a great communicator. It's never too late to change somebody's life. I think that's the other piece I got is a lot of people I work with, they've struggled for years, decades to try and find a solution to this thing. And they're kind of like beaten down, right? So when, when you're able to transform somebody like that, it's, it's a magical feeling. It feels like they're unstoppable. They can beat anyone and, and do great things in life, even if they've already have. So that's a feeling I think I've only got from working with people who are older than me. It's not something I understand given my age group, but, uh, but people in that age group, it's fun to see. Exactly. When you, when you start to understand your own limitations, right, which is what happens as you get older, you start to figure out what your limitations are when you finally have broken through something that has limited you for a very long period of time. It's probably a revelation like, you know, getting your first $100,000 check, right? Like when you're younger, just kind of seeing that ceiling that you thought could never be broken and breaking that ceiling and, and, and understanding probably how, how just following the process that someone else laid out for you would actually get you there, right? Like you just couldn't do it on your own. You just needed someone else to support you in it. And you got to the place that you needed to be, right? So asking for help. Cool, man. Listen, Brendan, I have two more questions. This is actually the game that I play with everyone that's on the podcast. Uh, I don't typically do the phrasing and idiom game. (laughs) (laughs) It felt right. Uh, So so we're going to play this game. Um, It's less of a game. It's more like a QA. and a uh, I'm going to ask you this because it's important uh, for the listeners to really have a solid perspective um, on, you know, not just the, the person that's speaking in their professional background, but also them as an individual, right? The man versus the brand, right? And, and so we're going to talk about the man part, right? Uh, and, and so this is just about you as an individual. Uh, this question is universal for everyone that's been on this podcast. And, uh, and, and, and I, we've heard some really awesome 
answers. Uh, I've gotten feedback from my listeners that they have actually taken a few of these uh, as suggestions and actually have engaged with it. And so um, I'm interested to hear yours. First is, uh, what's one thing on any streaming platform out right now that you're really enjoying? In terms of shows? In terms of shows, movies, um, anything that's out on a streaming platform that you're currently or have recently enjoyed? Yeah, of course, I'll give you my favorite TV show of all time. It's a show called Death Note. And essentially, Death Note is about the tale of a student in Japan who finds a notebook on the floor and he realizes then when writing the name of someone's notebook they die so what he does is he goes on this quest to try and kill every criminal in the world it's a really fascinating story don't watch the netflix original movie it's terrible watch the japanese uh, cartoon version it's called anime uh yeah i've watched that uh, that series six times and it's really shaped my perspective in life okay so guys i'm going to reveal something i secretly like the netflix version of this oh uh, my god i know and i have i have this whole podcast is done the foundation of it is wrong my god <laughs> okay wait i i just i want to say it's like the one you could say that rattles me emotionally how could no, you even say that wait, I'm, gonna, like, I'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> put my statement into context right like this is why the two questions are an interesting uh conversation right uh so so first guys um, I want to say, please watch Death Note. Um, the 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 implication of Death Note and the implication of this idea that um, that this protagonist, who is in fact a protagonist in the way that you eventually root for him, but he's an antagonist in the story in the way that the story is trying to catch and solve who this person is, right? So Death Note, I think it insinuates that there's a, like mega violence and all that. It's actually a really cerebral like it's it's very much about um un getting into a plot and and seeing the plot shift the plot uh pivot um how this person escapes uh being found and how they utilize this one book which seems like a very simple concept right name of the book and they die and and how that thing can be explored um in kind of multifaceted sort of way so it's a really interesting um deep dive into um, human emotion into human intellect um, and into uh, the progression of a story. You think the story's going one way and the story goes somewhere else. That's why uh, Death Note has rabid, rabid uh, fan base. Like it has a fan base that is very specific and that likes it presented in a certain way because the, the, the manga, the anime is so very specific in the way that it presents and unfolds the story. So with all that said... The Netflix thing is not that bad I, for me, for me. And let me, let me just tell you guys why. So if you are a fan of anime, some of you may be, some of you may not be, that's absolutely okay. Um, well, it's not really okay. You should be into anime. Anime is cool. And it's so multivaried that you can figure out something that you really love. All right. So, so try anime. Um, it's not just Pokemon. Just putting that out there. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, some of you just think that that's what it is. Uh, it's not just that. Um, uh, and so, uh, live action, which is, um, using, uh, actual people, um, to play the characters that are typically, um, placed in an animated and or illustrated setting, uh, has failed for most anime, like failed horribly. I'm going to speak to Dragon Ball Z for anybody who's seen that. 
or that knows about that, horrible. Um, I'm going to speak to to, uh, to Cowboy Bebop. Um, horrible, right? There have been a ton of adaptations into live action that have been bad. Whether you believe that Cowboy Bebop is bad is completely up to you. The actors are great. Everything else just falls to the wayside. But I felt like if you tried to condense the many, 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 many chapters and episodes of, of Death Note into one hour and 30 minute thing. And if you have been desensitized to uh, cultural switching and, uh, and folks that um, just don't represent anything that's in the comic representing everything that's in the comic, um, then it's, it's still mediocre, but it's better than everything else. So Brendan's right, Brendan's right, it's horrible. But it's horrible in, in the way that its rating of horribleness is above some really other horrible live action anime adapt- adaptations that, you know, I think, um, I think it sits in the, the middle of the genre. I'm a Bleach fan. If you guys like Bleach, then that had a live action adaptation that, you know, I think was kind of cool, but a lot of Bleach fans don't necessarily think so. Um, Naruto hasn't gotten one because they know better. Um, they just... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know Bleach had a live action. Yeah, it's on Netflix. The... It was I'll, a part I'm of that gonna... whole rollout. Yeah, man. It's gonna um, ruin my day. I don't even. I won't even attempt it. So, 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 yes, he's absolutely right. But I just wanted to put that out there for the folks that are gonna look and and you know maybe see Death Note on Netflix. I just wanted to give you some um, some preface into. Uh, what the series was, the series was about in terms of the anime and the manga, but also how the Netflix series is probably really, really bad for the fandom. But if you know you're casual, you're interested, there's a monster that eats apples. If you're okay with that, then you're going to be okay with the rest of it. All right, anyway, so here's here's the second question. So, so Brendan's first recommendation is Death Note, but specifically that you watch the anime. Um, and uh, the anime is available on uh, various uh, streaming um, uh, streaming platforms. I believe it's available on Crunchyroll. Is that right? Do you know if it's available you, on the Crunchyroll app? Yep. You know, you can even it's even ad supported. Yeah, it is, and it's even it's even so you need to buy the subscription. All right, so get the subscription. Get yeah, do something, check out uh, Death Note. It'll be worth your time. All right, the second one is, Brendan, what? A show, movie, anything that you're consuming on a streaming platform that people would be surprised, folks that know you, right? Like those those folks that were uh, talking to you as executive coaches, your family, your friends, what would they be surprised to know that you enjoy watching? Surprised to know. Yeah, I don't really listen to a lot of TV, man. So let me see if I could uh, surprise. Yeah, like you're like, oh, I watch this, and people are like, really? You you really watch that? Wow, that's mm. uh, that's interesting. I mean, Death Note definitely fits that category too. I mean, people find that odd. Maybe some other anime. Okay, I just don't know which one to pick. Probably. Oh, that's a tough question. That's the hardest question I've ever been asked on a podcast. What's one thing? What's one show? I mean, I don't think people, uh, would people really be surprised by that? That's where the tricky thing, because I was going to say Black Mirror, but people wouldn't be surprised by that. 
No, like, wouldn't be like, oh my once god. Once you get into the black note, they, I mean, once you get into the death note, I think people are just like, all right, cool. Give me the rest of your list. Oh, I guess the other one is, yeah, I guess one joke match. Wait, hold on, hold on. Your your audio your audio is breaking out a little bit. Like, give, give that to us again. Like, thanks, man. Sorry, but I don't know what's happening with my audio. No, it's, no, no. It's um, all good. The it's joke all good. of Magica. I think I I watched this. Yeah, man. So so I watched uh, the show called Madoka Magica. That's that's something that I guess would Madoka Magica. Okay. Um, I feel like I know what it is. I might not know what it is. So. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Madoka Magica. Um, preteen teenage girls who are who are magical. And they I feel like there's something with witches and something about them growing into their maturation as humans, as women, as magical beings. And um, it also has really awesome and intense visuals does that somewhere is that is that about right i don't know if i'm there's a few of them that are kind of similar so i'm trying to figure out if that's the one that i remember that's the one yeah madoka people would be surprised that i watched that and it was super super dark towards the end like you wouldn't think it's like a bunch of little girls running around people would say that on a podcast it's an anime thing guys people wouldn't understand this but then i watched the last episodes of the of the podcast and i was like oh my i mean i podcast the show and i was like and i couldn't sleep for like a week it was so dark towards yeah. the end but yeah anyways yeah it's watch like, death note don't watch it's, madoka it's like it's like it's like guys for, for folks that maybe have a just a general idea of anime anyone who has no clue about anime and that's older you're probably tuning us out at this moment you probably stopped the podcast uh because this is probably not interesting to you but the folks that's still on and they're listening and they're interested in anime suggestions uh and that's not familiar with this think sailor moon if sailor moon started out very similar to how it starts out as you traditionally understand it and then you find out that the reason that they have access to these awesome abilities um is based in something really dark and really tragic and and it takes that kind of magical girl trope that idea of you know being a sailor scout or um any of those very similar things like the the I don't even know what some other ones that are similar. Like it takes this idea of these kind of magical girls um, that is very prevalent in not only anime, but very much prevalent in, um, in, in what we consume. Right. So it's the, like kind of my little pony esque. all of that stuff is kind of generally in that same bracket of, of conversation. There's something magical. The age represented is preteen or teen and everything is lovely. Everything is powerful. Everything is empowering for young girls. Um, and then you take that and you talk about, and, and you break that dynamic down, you break that trope down and, and, and you find that there might be sinister motive behind that. Right. Uh, be behind the exaltation of these young women. Um, and, and it, 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 I think that that's what we're talking about. And, um, it's, it's a really good exploration, uh, of the genre, um, and a really good exploration of human condition, um, specifically as it relates 
to uh, how empowerment is presented for young women and, and what's at stake with that. And, um, and it has a good message at the end, I believe. I think I remember it has a good message uh, because, because the girls are empowered, but they're not empowered in a magical sense. They're empowered with the truth, right? And that's, that's important that young girls understand that it's not just in being magical, but, but, but being investigative in being curious in, in being uh, critical thinkers, right? And so at the end of it all, and I don't want to give it away for the people that are watching it, even me describing it or Brendan describing it, it doesn't do it justice. It does. You, yeah, like th there's no spoilers in this. I could explain this to you and you'll still never see it coming. Um, but but there, there's there's something powerful in, 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 in allowing young ladies to become um, critical thinkers, investigators, be empowered in a way um, that is very accessible for human uh, individuals. And so, okay, all right. So, so we have your two recommendations, man. Thank you for that. I appreciate no worries, it. no worries, man. And I wouldn't recommend people watch Madoka, by the way. I think that I mentioned it. I would say Death Note's the recommendation, but but yeah, Madoka was very traumatizing for sure. I'm sorry, though, those both count as recommendations, whether they're traumatizing <laughs> or not. Right? Some people, that's what they need. They need. They they want to be woken up. They want to be shaken. Right, so we're gonna shake the foundations of what they believe about the world, and they're gonna they're gonna think about you, Brendan. They're gonna think that you're the reason that they can't sleep at night, and that the the next time that someone has a star wand, that they're wondering uh, what's really behind that. All right, cool, man. So listen, guys, uh, I'm so glad that you're able to sit in on this conversation. Uh, I know that it's been uh, impactful for you guys. Uh, we hit some very great points, um, specifically around uh, actions that you can take in order to hit that 20% that's going to differentiate you. Uh, we've also talked through uh, what uh, Brendan has learned in his journey uh, to becoming uh, this communication coach. Uh, what his clients ultimately need from the program and what some takeaways of the program, some actionable things that they have done in order to be successful in their own business and their own style. We talked about uh, this idea of serving your community and, and giving some great points around uh, how to really access your entrepreneurial endeavors, right? How to find your market, how to find your community, uh, and, and then align your product or service to be valuable to that community. And, uh, and then we played some games and had some laughs and talked about tending bar and, and uh, rugby players and Concordia and, and really, you know, it's kind of had a great time. So I want to thank uh, Brendan for, for being here, for participating in man versus brand and for being a good sport uh, for all of the curveballs. Uh, that we've thrown him. He said that, you know, he talks about, he thinks about avocados and he presents on those. So I'm glad that he was able to do an on the spot game with us. Um, Brendan, if you could, if someone is listening right now and they feel like uh, your services could match with their need, uh, how, what's the best way to contact Master Talk? Yeah. Dion, what a pleasure, man. So, so two easy ways. Number one is the YouTube channel. Just go to Master Talk in one word. You'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to communicate ideas effectively. And then the second way for those who are interested in coaching, go to rockstarcommunicator.com. We do a bunch of Zoom calls, free trainings every few weeks, and you can register 
for one of them and get some free coaching from me on a call at that website. Now, listen, guys, you know how to, to reach Brendan. Um, he's a great, great communicator. Uh, you can probably tell he seems like a transparent and authentic guy. And if you're going to find someone who's going to lead you to your path of communicating authentically, uh, yeah, that's right, authentically and uh, and transparently, yeah, I'm going to go with that too, transparently, then then Brendan's going to be your guy to talk to, right? Um I have a quick question. My last question, I promise, Brendan. Rockstar communicator. Like, that must be a really, really great domain to have, right? Like, when, when you thought of that domain, were you really just, like, wowed that it was available to you? Because that's an awesome domain. I, I won't even take credit for that. My business partner found it. It was only 10 bucks a year. We got super lucky. What? That's awesome, man. Crazy. That is. That is. Uh, so, listen. Uh, look for uh, Master Talk on YouTube, guys. Um, connect with a lot of the free tools and presentations that uh, that Brendan's going to have for you guys. And uh, as always, thank you guys for participating and listening to Man vs. Brand. Uh, please make sure to share this podcast with folks that you think are aligned to the messaging and what we're talking about here. I thank you guys so much for, uh, for being on this this long. Um, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate you guys so much. Have a great, great week. If this talk just resonated with you or could help someone you know, follow Dion or his guest on all social media platforms. Till next time. And remember, with any business or brand, give it to your heart, make it real, or else forget about it. See you all soon.